Good morning. Um, I was saying that I'm glad I'm not the only one that forgets things here. Greg did too, so that makes me feel better. But good morning. My name is Mark, and I'm the pastor here at UCG. It's wonderful to be with you and to worship God with you on this, his day. Um, as Greg said, we are having our mission celebration today, so I'm going to keep reminding you about that in our fellowship hall. And it's just a time for us to celebrate what is important to us, God's mission. And, and, and you all who are the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. I, I really believe that mission is the, the lifeblood of the local church, and it's very important to us as we give ourselves away for the sake of of the gospel to the world. And so I'm excited to, to have our first missions celebration today. Um, when we try new things, we never know quite what it's going to be like. Will anybody show up? Will we have any tables of any missions? Will there just be one? I don't know, but I'm thrilled that, that the room is full today. And I know there's many that aren't represented today also, but, but it looks like from what I could see, we've got the Gideons, we've got the Quigley mission. We've got Missing Desafio. We've got the food bank from UCG, the women's ministry of UCG, uh, Sateca, the G2G network, Kids Alive, Potter's House, Global Mission Project, the, the Christian Academy, and maybe, maybe others. So I'm really excited that all of y'all are here today. Thank you for, thank you for coming. Thank you for setting up a display so that we can learn more about what you are doing. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles, we're going to be working out of John chapter 18 today, John 18. And today we're going to be looking at Pilate and the encounter that Pilate had with Jesus. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to look at that story and kind of see how that sort of sets the table for the continuation of that story, which we'll get into next week. So we're going to look at this story and also set the table for next week. With, uh, with Barabbas, with Pilate, Jesus, and Barabbas. But this is Pilate and Jesus today. It's a really interesting, really fascinating part of, of the passion narrative of Jesus. And so we're going to look at that today, John 18. This is following Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, so this is following Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's following Peter's, Peter's denial of Jesus. And then we, we find that they, the, the members of the high priest council, they led Jesus from the high priest's house to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves didn't want to enter the governor's headquarters so that they would be defiled because it was Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were, were not doing evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now all of this was said to Fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what manner he was going to die. 
So after Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, what we see take place is that Jesus is brought to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And he's brought into the house. It's the middle of the night. And they go to to wake up the other Jewish leaders, the other priests and members of the Sanhedrin, and to kind of rouse them up in the middle of the night to bring them to have this trial. And it was, really a, it was really a mock trial that they had. And the charge against Jesus was blasphemy. It was blasphemy that he, he claimed to be the son of God. And so he said, this was blasphemy. And he's put on trial for blasphemy. And ultimately he confesses. He confesses that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God. And he's found guilty of blasphemy, and that was a crime punishable by death. However, the, the Jewish council, they had, they had two problems. The first problem was that it was the middle of the night, and it was against their own law to try a capital case in the middle of the night, in, in the nighttime. And so the whole trial was really kind of ridiculous that it, that it took place in any form in the middle of the night. Um, Yet, even as they found Jesus guilty, they they could not convict him of this crime in in the nighttime. And so they they literally had to wait until early morning, until the sun started to to rise, and then they could announce or proclaim their verdict officially. And, And that brings us to their second problem. The second problem was that the Jews under Roman law, they were not permitted to execute their own prisoners or, or, or the, those um, yeah, prisoners. So, so they've got Jesus. He's guilty. He's guilty of a crime punishable by death, but they can't legally execute him. And so they, that's why they have to now take him to, to Pilate, to the, the Roman governor, to do their dirty work under Roman law. And so they bring Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Again, it's early in the morning. Pilate was the Roman procurator of Judea, kind of the the Roman governor under Caesar of this region. And his responsibility primarily was was to maintain Roman operations in Judea. And and secondly, his, his prime directive was to keep the peace, to make sure that there were no insurrections or rebellion against Rome or any issues like that. And in fact, that is why at this time that Pilate was in Jerusalem because his main headquarters was not in Jerusalem, but rather was in Caesarea Philippi. But his tradition had been that at the time of the Passover each year, he would would transition from Caesarea Philippi to Jerusalem to be there to keep the peace because it was at this time, the time of the Jewish Passover, that there was a lot of concern about outbursts of Jewish nationalism. And so he wanted to be in Jerusalem to make sure that he kept the peace and that he could suppress any insurrections or rebellions or outbursts of, of nationalism at that time. And just to, just to kind of give a little further context in that, you might remember that the Jewish Passover, it was a remembrance of, of the, the exodus, the freedom of God's people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And so he brought them out from bondage as slaves in Egypt and ultimately brought them to the promised land. And that's what Passover kind of signified. And so here they are, they're in their own land, but they're under the thumb of their Roman oppressors. 
They're, maybe they're not quite slaves like they were in Egypt, but they are in bondage. And so you can, you can imagine that the tensions were always high at this time of year. And so that was the concern of the Romans, of, of Pilate, the governor, that there not be any insurrections or rebellions against the empire at this time. And so it was very common again for, for Pilate to be in Jerusalem at this time. So that's where we, that's where we kind of pick up the story. It's after the the Jewish council decides that Jesus is guilty. They then bring him, they bring him to Pilate because they themselves can't carry out the sentence. And, and I think one thing that we find in this story that's, that's very ironic is that they bring him to Pilate's house. And if you heard in the text, it said that they didn't want to go into Pilate's house because they were afraid that they would defile themselves and and this was the Passover time, so, so kind of putting, the, you know, putting things together, they didn't want to defile themselves and not be able to celebrate Passover. Now, I'm not exactly sure what they were afraid of happening to them or what would defile them, but clearly this was a concern for them, and it's, it's incredibly ironic because here they are, that they have condemned an innocent man to death. They have conspired murder against this man, yet they don't want to ritually defile themselves in Pilate's house. And it just is kind of an illustration of how, how empty their outer religiosity was. So they don't want to go into Pilate's house. So Pilate is gracious enough to meet them outside to see what's up. And he asks them, basically, what is this man's crime? Why have you brought him to me? Um, why do you want him dead? What has he done? Pilate just kind of wants to get to the point, wants to, he, he sort of feels like they're wasting his time. Why, why, why have you brought this man who seems to be a petty criminal here? Why are you wasting my time? And they respond with this. They respond, we have found him guilty of blasphemy. It is a crime punishable by death, but it's not lawful for us to do that. It's not lawful for us to kill him. And so you have to do it. You have to do it. And what the text says next in verse 32, it's really profound, but it's really easy to just sort of read over this and miss this. In verse 32, it says, this was all to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was to die. This was all to fulfill the word of Jesus. And I think this is really profound because what that means is that Everything that was taking place at this time, everything was being orchestrated by the hand of God. The sovereign hand of God was moving all of these pieces and all of these people and all of these events at this time to accomplish his purpose and his will in Jesus Christ. Now, and, and ultimately what that was leading up to was Jesus' crucifixion. And, and it might make you wonder, why, why was it that Jesus needed to die by Roman crucifixion? And there's a couple of, a couple of things that, that I find really fascinating about that. It's interesting that the Jews, you know, the Jews were not permitted by law to execute their own criminals. However, there was a provision that if the Jews found someone guilty of blasphemy, that, that they indeed could 
bring about the execution, but only by stoning. And so they could have legally stoned Jesus to death. And, and I guess that, that, would, that would kill you to be stoned. But what stoning would do is stoning would invariably break your bones. If you were stoned to death, you would end up with broken bones. And so Jesus was not stoned. Strangely, they did not pursue this option. And because they didn't pursue this option, it was fulfilling prophecy of scripture, scriptures such as Exodus 12, 12, 46, Numbers 9, 12, Psalm 34, 20, which says that the Passover lamb would have unbroken bones. And of course, Jesus was our Passover lamb. And Jesus being crucified assured that his bones would not be broken. We also see in Deuteronomy 21, it talks about how Jews found guilty of blasphemy would be hung on a tree. The apostle Paul talks about this. And so ultimately Jesus is hung on a tree to take on the penalty of our sin and our death. He became a curse in order that we might be set free. So he wasn't stoned. He was hung on wood, a tree, for us. It's also interesting that if the Jews had executed Jesus himself, if they had taken that option to stone him, that, then the Gentiles would have been blameless in this act, right? Their hands would have been clean in the death of Jesus. But as it is, both the Jews and the Gentiles' hands are both dirty in the killing of Jesus. Both the Jews and the Romans they had their hands at work in this together. And it's simply to say that brothers and sisters, all of us are guilty, both Jew and Gentile. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. So we see here that all of this is happening. All of this is happening in this very particular way by God's hand of providence upon these people and these events and and Pilate. You know, they bring Jesus to Pilate and they want Pilate to kill this man for them. And what we see next is is that Pilate wants to take Jesus inside and he wants to have a little chat with Jesus. And we find that in verse 33 um, from our text today. So in verse 33, we see Pilate entered his headquarters again. He called Jesus and he said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or have others said it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation, your own chief priests have delivered, over, delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I wouldn't have been delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, it's not of this world. And then Pilate asked him, so, so you are a king? And Jesus said, Jesus, Jesus said, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate then asked him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and he said, 
I find no guilt in him. So Pilate brings Jesus inside. He asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Right? And Pilate's question here, to to understand this rightly, you have to understand that Pilate's question is incredibly politically motivated. Pilate didn't really care if Jesus was king of the Jews or not. But ultimately, he's asking, are these, are these accusations that have been brought against you, are they true? Have you claimed to be the king? Have you claimed to be the Messiah? And if you look at the charges against Jesus um, from, from, the, from the lens of Luke, Luke's gospel lays out the charges, Luke 23, 1 and 2. It's, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Luke's gospel says the whole company of them, that was the whole company of, of the, the high priest council, they, they arose, they brought Jesus to Pilate, and they begin to accuse him, saying, we found this man to be misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is the Christ, is a king. So you see where they're going with this, right? That there are these accusations they bring to Pilate. This man's committing treason, right? This very thing that you are worried about right now, this man is doing it. He's going to start an insurrection. He's claiming to be a king above, even above Caesar, right? Now, I think these men that brought Jesus to to Pilate, I mean, they were kind of brilliant in this way, the way that they unfolded these charges against Jesus before Pilate, because they knew that the only way that they could get Pilate to do what they wanted him to do, the only way that they could get Pilate on their side, the only way that they could get Pilate to do their dirty work was to pose Jesus as a threat to Rome. Because that's all Pilate cares about. Pilate didn't want to get in the middle of of Jewish religious disputes. He didn't care about any of that. He only cares if this man is a threat to Rome or not. If this man is legitimate or not. He doesn't care about anything, anything else about Jewish religious law or about Jesus. He only wants to make sure that the peace is kept in Jerusalem. And so they bring Jesus before Pilate. They say, this man is a threat. This man is preventing us from worshiping or paying homage to Caesar. This man says he, in fact, is a king. And, and you know, if you don't put him to death right now, you're going to have an issue on your hands. And that's why Pilate, when he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? That's why this is a, a very politically motivated question for Pilate. Because Pilate is ultimately trying to figure out Is this man really a threat or not? Or is he just some kind of nutcase, right? Is he really a threat or not? Is this man really for real or not? He's trying to size up Jesus. And that's why Jesus assures Pilate. He assures Pilate that indeed he is a king, but that he is not the kind of king that everybody thinks that he may be. And he says in verse 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I wouldn't have been delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, Jesus, he's saying, look, man, you can relax, right? You can chill out. What you're worried about, you know, I know what you're worried about. Rebellion, insurrection, 
but my kingdom's not of this world. You can relax. I mean, he says, if my kingdom were of this world, that rebellion would already have started, right? My disciples would be storming the gates right now, but my kingdom is not of this world. And so take a deep breath, Pilate. You can relax. The thing you're worried about, you can relax. And then Jesus and Pilate, they have this this rather famous dialogue in verses 37 and 38. Pilate says to Jesus, he says, so you're a king. And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king, but for this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate says to him, and this is kind of the the famous question Pilate asks, he says, what is truth? What is truth? And then after after he had said that or asked that, he walks out the door and he goes outside and he says, I find no guilt in this man. And so Jesus says, I am a king and my mission is to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate's response is, what is truth? What is truth? Pilate's question here, it's a pretty interesting question. What is truth? He he doesn't ask, what is the truth? But he asks, what is truth? And there's a very distinct difference between these two difference. What is the truth? Or these two questions, what is the truth and what is truth? right? Because if he had asked, if if Pilate really wanted to know the truth, he would have asked, what is the truth? You know, please tell me, please enlighten me. I want to know, but he doesn't, he doesn't ask that. That's not his question at all. Pilate asks, what is truth? And, and, and my read on that is that by asking that question, what is truth is that Pilate didn't really want to know what the truth was at all. He wasn't really interested in the truth. Instead, he, he questions truth itself. Now, this is a question. Pilate's question is a question that has been asked throughout the centuries, throughout the ages, and it, and it is certainly asked today, particularly in Western culture. Western culture is screaming this question, what is truth And the culture is saying this, truth is relative. Truth is fluid. What's true for you might not be true for me. So who are you to judge me? Who are you to tell me what my truth should be? You know, and and in the West, we, we sort of, like to think that we are very enlightened people, right? We're very enlightened. We claim to be about the truth, about knowledge. But really the culture is asking, not what is the truth, you know, please enlighten me, but what is truth? Because it's much easier to question truth itself than to allow the truth to question you. Instead of facing a truth or the truth that might demand change in your life, that might demand growth in your life, it's much easier to simply believe that truth is relative. Well, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Don't judge me, right? Because then we can say whatever we want to say and no one 
can question it. No one can hold us accountable. And what's so tragic about this conversation between Pilate and Jesus is that Pilate stands there and he asks, what is truth? While truth itself is literally standing right in front of his face. He asks, what is truth? And then before he can even get an answer, he walks out the door. That's what's so tragic about this whole conversation. Ultimately, Pilate Pilate wasn't interested in truth at all. He didn't care about Jesus. He didn't care about who Jesus really was. He, he wasn't interesting in know, interested in knowing truth at all because if he, if he was, he would have said, what is the truth? What kind of king are you, Jesus? I want to know. Enlighten me, right? Give me some of this knowledge. But, but Pilate was only concerned with, with saving his own skin, right? He was a company man. He was loyal to the empire. All he was worried about is keeping the peace in Jerusalem. And it was far easier for Pilate to to dismiss the truth itself rather than to face it. And so one question I want us to to just think about this morning is this. Um, Have you been confronted by truth recently? Have you been confronted by the truth lately? And what I mean by that is you may, have, you may be a follower of Jesus. You may have been a Christian for a long time. You may have grown up in the church and that's all you've ever known in your life. But maybe you've gotten comfortable. Maybe you've gotten complacent in that. Maybe you're at a point where you just kind of think you know it all now. You have all the answers now. You've got it all figured out. But again, let me, let me just ask you this question, pose this question. Have you been confronted by truth lately? You, you know, if, if there's anything I've learned in my years of ministry and in my years of, of walking with the Lord, it's, it's, it's this, that, that every so often, I mean, it may, be, it may be a long time in between these things. It may be a short time, but every so often God will confront me with something that I've not thought about before, that I've not, that I've not seen before, that I've not dealt with before. Maybe it's something within myself. And it kind of blows me away and challenges me. And, and I'm not talking so much about, you know, like a theological concept, but, but just about my own knowing and growing in myself, things internal to me. God reveals something about myself to me and it challenges me and it presses me uncomfortably and, and, and it demands change and it demands growth within me. I mean, have you experienced that? These times that it's just like God reveals something to you that is truth in your life and it's challenging to who you are. It's like God is shaking you awake in a new way, in a, in a fresh way. Or maybe for you it's been years. Maybe, maybe this isn't something you've experienced. You've just been comfortable in your life with Jesus. You've just been comfortable in your walk. There hasn't been any uh, new conviction to shake you awake in a, in a fresh way. 
So again, if you've been confronted by truth lately, because this happens, it happens to all of us, and y'all, when, when God does reveal something new to you in this way, I just, I just want to urge you to allow that truth to change you and to grow you, not to be like Pilate. What is truth? Walk away. You know, what we, what we often do, I think when this happens, what we often do is we like to put God on trial. The Lord speaks into your life with a, with a challenge, with a point of conviction. God reveals something to us. Maybe it's shocking to us. And, and, and honestly, it's, it's much easier to put God on trial, to put truth on trial than to let it work within us and change us and grow us. And what I mean by, what I mean by putting God on trial is like, is like this. You know, we, we might not actually say these things out loud with our mouth, but they may be going in our thoughts or in our heart. You know, we might actually say, think something like, God, I know better than you. I know better than you. God, I think you're wrong about this. God, how could you say this thing to me? Again, we, we might not actually verbalize these things, but we may, we may hold them in our hearts. And we are questioning whether God is good and true and right and just. And so it's just to say, brothers and sisters, take care. Be careful of this because that's the very root of the fall of man. You know, if you think about in, in, in the garden, right? That was the devil's game. That was the devil's game to, to get Adam and Eve to question whether God was really good and true and for them. And they took the bait. They questioned truth itself. And so we don't want to do that. We want to allow truth to examine us and to change us and to grow us. So, so what we see take place in this story after Pilate's famous question of what is truth, we see that instead of, of dealing with what is really going on in front of him, instead of really wrestling with truth who is standing there in front of him, we see that Pilate decides to dismiss truth itself. And he turns and he walks out the door. He goes back outside. He says, I find this man innocent. Basically, translation, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this man. I don't want to deal with the truth. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to finish up right here. Here's the thing. Things are about to get ugly. And things are about to really start to heat up. And that's what we're going to see next week. I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger today. Right? I want you to come back next week. Cliffhanger. Next week, we're going to see Pilate. Jesus and Barabbas and we'll see what happens next. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good and you are holy 
and you are truth. Your commandments are for our good. Your conviction is ultimately to bring us to you, to bring us to your holiness, to bring us to your, to your righteousness. And we pray this morning that you would confront us with your truth. If we were in a place of, of ease or of comfort, Lord, we pray that you would shake us up. Shake us up in a new way, O oh Lord. Change us and grow us to be more and more like you. We pray that you would reveal to us who you are. And I pray today, Lord, if there are any who are here who are questioning truth itself, Lord, I pray that you would draw them back to you. I pray that you would make yourself very real in a, in a very tangible way in their life today so that they can see the truth. And if they are seeking you, I just pray that they would once again and once and for all surrender to you today, Lord Jesus. For you are good and you are God and you are true and you are wonderful. And we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.